Well, hello there, soul sibling. On today's episode, World AIDS Day is every December 1st, every year. And for a lot of years, I would do different activities, even advocacy work and events. And the last few years, I have really laid low and just kind of been in this very quiet space about it. I'll always do a post or something. And I I had intended to do a uh, podcast episode on World AIDS Day. And lo and behold, here we are. It's middle of December, if you're in real time with me. And I have some things I want to share with you. And so today's conversation is really about kind of this shame and guilt world. Brene Brown does a really good job at defining the difference between those two. And she's a big name that so many connect and resonate with. And I studied her stuff in the beginning years, and it just is amazing. But the idea that guilt is feeling bad because of something you do or actions and shame being this innate feeling that I am wrong, I am broken, I am not okay, there's, I am bad, I am. And then when you take shame, and you move that into stigma, which is a very, very big word for the whole world of AIDS and HIV, stigma being reported as one of the very big issues, stigmatized. For me, I often felt like the metaphor was scarlet letters, letters, because HIV, three letters, AIDS, four letters. So I want to share with you about three different men, two particular big stories in this episode, and a little bit about how I engaged with them and their relationship to HIV and to AIDS and how I'm choosing to work with it at this point in my life. I believe that what we make meaning of is in our realm. It's our power and responsibility to make meaning. You can, by default, take whatever comes, but by choice, I can intend and decide a meaning. For example, I get a text message from a friend. um, Or let's say I text a friend and say, hey, A, B, C, D, E, and I don't hear back from the friend. And I don't hear back from the friend and it's been a couple weeks. I could say all kinds of things to myself. I could say, hey, this person, God, they must not like me. Maybe I bugged them last time I was there. Um, you know, I could start to feel really resentful or angry. I could, like there's just so many different meanings you could give. And so instead of just following insecurities, fear, or the negative energy that seems to be of its own intelligence. Another option is to intentionally, mindfully practice and give the meaning you want it to be. And then every time that insecurity or vulnerability comes up, boom, that person must be busy. Boom, that's going to be the meaning that person has a lot on their plate, obviously, and I'm just going to let them go. I could reach out again, I could wait till I hear from them, I could wait a few weeks, then reach out. And so then with stigma, with HIV and AIDS for so many years, I was very much rooted in being in that space of feeling broken, feeling punished, damaged, stigmatized, infected. And that's not my experience. Now I'm, it's years, this is my 17th World AIDS Day in 2019. So um, 
March 17th in 2020 will be 17 years that I received my diagnosis. So I've had many different seasons to this. And so this season, I saw some people online posting, I belong to a lot of different circles with HIV and AIDS and advocacy. And I was listening to some of what they were saying, and I just, it didn't resonate. And I thought, that's interesting. I've definitely come to a different place with my own current time relationship to my own stigma. So that's what we're talking about on today's episode. And so before we dive into all those details, I'd love to read a poem. These are poems, just short little poems that I wrote. I'm going to read a couple of them to you because they're specific to HIV and AIDS and stigma. Last year, I was reading and studying a little bit of poetry by Emily Dickinson, and there is a collection of a bunch of her poems that she hand wrote on the outside of envelopes. And I have all these extra envelopes that I didn't use from some watercolor paper, and they're Italian Fabriano paper that's beautiful paper. And I decided to take my HIV AIDS and stigma and write about it. So that's like one of the things I did last year. So let's start with this one. Life's always singing an inward winning love song of authentic you gregarians crack whore you I give you a new name and fluid gender Emily Dixon. (laughs) That's fun. Okay, this is the second one. And mind you, I'm reading them on the outsides of the envelope. Let me find the correct starting place. Okay. Visual and acoustic aspects of AIDS. Who wants wine? I'll give you sticky fluids rich in the virus. The virus The visual on the tip of most tongues screams with lesions of irrational chess games. Queens stand alone, naked, except stockings and lace between fire crackers of condoms, latex roses, were your first gifts, a harness of death whispered between sheets of sharp glass. Staring back at me through a looking glass, a parched coyote circled my canvas. She brought terror and condemnation from the pack. Chorus of howls washed over the onion layers of mellow music, whistling from my banjos. One banjo, sorry. Whistling from my banjo. Baskets of sand extracted from his veins proved one thing only. He was far too big for this world full of questions. Oh my gosh, this is really interesting to read aloud to you. All right, and here's the third one, super short. Cucumber bullets fly across borders of shame. Deliver donuts laced with HIV sprinkles and pink Hello Kitty. Pink precisely fueled with AIDS. Yes, embrace it. AIDS will split your heart open. Fun. When I read those poems out loud, I'm like, wow, these are really great. 
So my goal is at some point in 2020, 2021, to put those in a collection with watercolors and they'll be for purchase and available at viralmindfulness.com. So today's core stories, I want to share with you a couple men in my life and relationships and how I contribute and participate in living real-time HIV AIDS situations. And for me, stigma seems to be very intimately familiar with secrets and silence. And I know for me, when I look back, coming out, talking about it, telling my family, my friends, I did lots of big things like go on social media and go and do an international, not an international, but a national interview on CNN one year and it launched me into a whole interesting wave of advocacy and, and talking about it. So I really think that shame, that, that elevating shame and bringing it out of the silence and the secrets into the light, into the love and connection and community of other people. If you can't start with people in your life, start with a therapist, start with your doctor, start with a support group, start with a stranger. Sometimes a neutral stranger can be very interesting connection. So the first story I'm going to share with you, let's start small. I remember, well, let's start on World AIDS Day. So this year on World AIDS Day, I decided to just, you know, do my Sunday. I didn't podcast. Here you are listening to this after the fact. I did a little post on social media and I did my normal Sunday just being in the groove and I decided to go walking at the Huntington Beach main pier. And so it was dark, early winter, pre-winter night about 6 p.m. 7 and I went over to Pacific City along PCH in Huntington Beach and I went to Phil's Coffee to get some hot beverage. So I bundled up in my coats, in my thermals. Yes, I wear thermals sometimes here. I know. Don't judge me. So I'm at Phil's and this guy comes up to me and he's just in my orbit and he's like, can I just tell you, you look great. Like, I love, like, you look fantastic, like, what you're wearing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, thanks. And he's just staring at me. And I'm like, wait, what? And I'm like, okay. And then he just kept going. And we started talking. And we had this great conversation about people were listening to on audibles. And I mentioned something about Alan Watts. And he's like, you know, Alan Watts? I'm like, of course. He's not on my heavy rotation. My heavy rotation is Pema Chodron and Adi Ashanti and John O'Donohue and now David White. And he was curious. So he asked if we could exchange numbers. He wanted to get back to his friend. We'd been talking for like 20 minutes. I was like, oh my gosh, he's totally flirting with me. He took my number. I was so excited. Here I was just doing my thing. And this man comes up to me. And he was just there. And he was gazing at me and just offering me love. So that was a really fun World AIDS Day 2019 event. So we texted a couple of times. And we scheduled, he reached out and said, hey, could you get coffee before you leave for New York? So we scheduled a coffee date for yesterday. And I'm going to stop there and we'll get back to part two coffee date. By the way, his name is Philip. 
and I met him at Phil's Coffee. That's fun. So one of the things that happened for me then over the next couple of weeks is I decided that with this topic in my life, I'm just going to let this energy live inside me and around me. Oh, that felt great. So that is a different feeling for me than being stigmatized and feeling infected and separated. And I didn't even go there thinking, oh, what will this person think if we ever get to this point? I've gone through these points many times and I'm just in a different season of my life. So for you, if you're a listener right now and you're new at this, I would love to just say to you, there are many seasons and there are many layers to this. Take time, stay with it and get some support and community and some help. You don't have to do it alone. And I do think you need to be taught most of you who are living with HIV, how to elevate yourself with the help of something greater than you and a group or community and creativity bigger than you, that type of tutoring is so important. So to the story, next one. So back in probably 2011, I was still in Salt Lake City. I was working at Salt Lake Community College. I was the interim director of counseling services as a licensed clinical social worker. They would eventually offer me the full position with like a dollar raise. And I was just like, no way. Plus I was ready for something different. During those last, like that last year, I went to a conference in Arizona with the director of health and wellness services. Um, That the health and wellness service had counseling, they had a clinic, they had health education, um, and they had massage therapy. There were four different units or arms sisters to it. And so I went with my director and a couple other people to this. Actually, it was just her. And we were in Arizona and it was a health a health conf- a conference for like health educators and exactly other universities and colleges with people like us. And so I'm there doing my thing and we're going to a little breakout sessions and there's this beautiful man that comes to attention and he is super, super sexy to me. He's older than me a little bit. He's not white, beautiful black man. And he, uh, we eventually made it to drinks at the bar or something and had a great conversation and then he asked if I wanted to like get together the next day and have dinner and I was like yeah of course and so we ended up in the same workout center like the next morning so then we were able to say hello to each other and we worked out and we sat in the hot tub together which was kind of fun because we were naked in the hot tub it was like it was a man's side and like the men and women were separated. And so I was getting to know him like totally right away and we were going to have dinner later. And so it was fun and he was very intelligent, very attractive to me. So we had dinner the next night. And of course, my my colleague, she was very, very much my friend and very pro HIV AIDS and Alexander. And so... She was loving all of it. She wanted all the details as they would come in. 
So we had dinner, we had some wine at the time I was drinking and I wasn't in a sober abstinence spot like I am now. And I, we ended up spending several hours and had a great time. And we went back to my hotel room because I was staying alone and we made out, we started to kiss. We were just having some sexy time. And at that time where I was at, I was very clear that I'm was I'm on medications. My viral load is undetectable. That means there is no virus, HIV, in my fluids. And I'm not intending to exchange fluids tonight that are related, you know, semen, blood, vaginal secretions, which I don't have, breast milk. And then anal fluids is the fifth one now. We're talking that has been added in the last couple of years. None of that happened. And um, there was some oral sex that did happen. And um, exchange of semen didn't happen. And um, so that was that. And I didn't say a word about being HIV positive. He didn't ask. We didn't go to certain places that I'm comfortable. And I have certain places and boundaries set up where I tell people that I'm HIV positive. And those weren't any of them. And plus, I'm undetectable and on medication. And since then, in the last couple of years, it has been super solidified that U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable. People who are on meds and taking them every 24 hours and undetectable do not transmit the virus. Europe started that first um, and outside of the U.S. and then officially in the last couple of years that has been integrated here. And so of course, I always have feelings. And at the time, that's where I was at. Now at the time, I just tell people way up front, because I don't want to deal with like what happened with this man. (laughs) So um, we stayed in touch. And after I got home, I was talking to my colleague and to some other people and friends. And I just felt so I felt like I should have told him. And I just was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, what am I supposed to do? And you know, people had different opinions that I was talking to. You know, they're like, I definitely think you should tell him, like, if you're going to have oral sex. Oh, no, you shouldn't. It doesn't matter. I feel like most people said they thought I should. So I get a phone call from him. And so I'm thinking, oh, cool. Well, maybe I can, you know, bring it up and say something. And he's really stressed out about something and I couldn't take his call or something. So I knew there was stress. And then eventually when I was able to make a connection and we scheduled in a bit or I can talk to you at this time, he tells me that his brother has recently been diagnosed with HIV. And I'm like, what? I'm like, okay. And he is freaking out. I mean, he's freaking out, you know, because he didn't, his brother isn't gay. Um, He's freaking out because then he just starts to tell me that how just it's crushing him. And then he just starts to reveal all these things personally, just about himself and his own feelings and perceptions and bias and stigma and discrimination with his own HIV beliefs. And he starts saying out loud. And so here I am like the therapist totally talking to this guy. And he's telling me how like 
it's just the scariest thing. And he realizes that a lot of this just has to do with his own fear about it and how he's just terrified of being exposed to HIV and how he is meticulous about the people he's with and his sexual behaviors and like starts going to telling me how safe and careful he is and this and this. And so, oh my gosh, I'm like sitting here thinking, what is the poetic twist on this one? Yeah. So needless to say, I told him and it was like dead silent. And then I, you know, got to educate this guy who supposedly is like a health educator at a very prominent university. And I'm thinking, shouldn't he know this stuff? Like, this is crazy to me. And he now was so worried about himself. And I'm like, you're, this is how it works. I'm undetectable, this and this. And he just was in the fear. Anyway, he was eventually got a quick test, found out he was negative. A couple weeks later, we talked. He was really weird about it. And I just decided after that, that I was like, you know what? I'm not interested. If someone can't be where they're at to educate themselves and to meet me at a place where I'm evolving and where I currently was at that time, I just let it go. So that's my second story. Story number three. This one is really interesting. This is real time too. Like something just happened in the last couple of weeks. That's why I wanted to tell you about it. So when I moved to Southern California um, in 2012, I fell back into using crystal meth. I had stayed away from it for five years and was not completely abstinent, nor was I working in recovery or like sobriety under the realms of 12 steps and spiritual solutions specific to that. And so when I was here in transition and going through life and having some major disappointments and things were not working out, I didn't realize I would experience so much loss with my career change. I also uh, had my ex-boyfriend died in 2014. And so this was around that time in 2014. And I was using meth again, and I didn't tell anyone I was in it again. And I was shameful and secretive about it. And I didn't, I didn't ask for help, didn't know how or wasn't willing or both. And so I started going to yoga. I was practicing um, little big things where I was going back to some of the basics, the things that had helped me before. And yoga had always been a very important mind-body movement connection for me. So I decided to jump into the Bikram yoga studio down the street. And Bikram has that intense outward heat and sweating and it's just such a great metaphor. And so I totally signed up at the studio in Huntington Beach on Beach Boulevard. And so I was looking at classes and getting ready to go to a class. And this is probably in the winter. And I was had noticed that the class was being taught by this really beautiful man named Jason Alexander Wynn. And I was like, oh my gosh, his, he has my name and he's so beautiful. And I'm like, I feel like I know him. 
So I'm all like, you know, getting ready, got all my stuff, make it to the studio. And I get there and it's like, he's not teaching. It's some woman. I'm like, what? And she starts talking and the class is in memory of Jason Alexander Wynn. Like they are commemorating his life and his death, not particularly his death, but just what he was to the Bikram community. And apparently he was uh, one of the teachers that was very, very like flexible and very gifted. And then it started to come together. I'm like, wait, he he owned, he managed or set up the Bikram studio in Laguna Beach. And I had been to that studio before several times. I used to go when I stayed down there with my brother in Laguna Beach when I was visiting from Utah. So I had been in class with him and I'd probably had just a conversation with them. So I'm all thinking he totally died from age, from AIDS related death. I'm like, oh, Alexander, you don't know that. And I'm doing the class, the 90 minutes, the fire is on, the heat, the sweat. I am like totally convinced and sure that he died from an AIDS related situation. And so after class, I'm sitting out just recuperating and I'm just taking my time and a lot of people have cleared out of the studio. The teacher's not there anymore, but there's this other woman. So I started to ask her a couple questions. Now this is the the woman working in this moment or at the desk is the owner of this studio. And she knows Jason. She knew Jason. And I just was very open after class. That's sometimes how it is with yoga. And I just told her the situation. I'm like, I'm HIV positive. I took a class from him. I thought he was alive. I didn't realize he was dead. And I just was like, oh my gosh, I feel so connected to him in this moment for so many reasons. I didn't go into all the reasons. And she ended up talking to me. And she told me that Jason died from AIDS. He stopped taking the medications. And he, I, I don't, I feel like at the time she was telling me that he wanted to see what his body could do is on his own. Um, that's not true. That's what I wanted to do. She didn't have reasons why. And so I was like, I wonder why he stopped taking meds. And so he died from an autoimmune deficiency syndrome and some type of infection or something related to that. And then she tells me that his family would not let anyone speak of the fact that he was HIV positive or how he died. I guess he was connected at the New York community of Bikram, also on the East Coast, and they wanted to do some fundraising projects and things, and no, 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 not his family. They wouldn't allow. So this, of course, intrigued me because here I am living in real time. My ex-boyfriend that I spent four to five years with, the one I met on the day I tested positive for HIV, March 17th, 2003, he's dead. He's dead because he loved to do drugs and he got lost in them and never found his way out. And well, he did find his way out for a couple years, and but eventually he was dead, home alone, all by himself. And the autopsy, when they got it back, he had all kinds of drugs, including methamphetamine in it, in his system. And so here I am going through this loss. Here I am watching myself back in, using needles again, partying here in Southern California, LA, Hollywood, doing drugs, like living a full tilt boogie stigmat I'm living my I'm living my shame 
And this Jason Alexander win shows up. And this was the year now prior to 2015 when I would start to have these whisperings and these clues and these different like echoes and whispers and melodies that would lead to fertile soil that would encourage me to finally surrender and to stop using drugs and to seek out a spiritual solution. And Jason Alexander, when I decided to write about it, so I wrote like this five-part series on my blog, and then I submitted part of it to an HIV magazine, and the editor picked it up, and she edited small parts of it and put it together in a publication, and it was published. And so it's out there living and breathing, and sometimes I'll get hits online or different things will show up. People will reach out to me. Well, that's what happened just a couple weeks ago. November 22nd, 10.46 p.m., I get these Instagram text messages, direct messages. I'm not going to tell you his name. I'm going to just read you the text. Here is what I received in my DMs. Here's what slid into my DM on November 22nd at 10.46 p.m. Hey there. You don't know me, but I recently came across an article you wrote in HIV Plus magazine in 2014. We have someone in common that seems to have touched our lives in different ways. I was watching the new Netflix documentary about Bikram and decided to do a search for Jason Wynn, someone I had not thought of in many years. Your article was interesting to me because I had never heard anyone discuss his HIV diagnosis. It was always something hidden away by his Texas conservative family. They also wanted badly to hide me away because I am part of a much darker legacy that he has. He was my second boyfriend when I was 21 years old. He lied to me and he told me that he was negative and then gave me HIV and dumped me after I got very sick. I know of at least one other person who had the same experience. I struggled for many years with drugs and was not able to trust any man through most of my 20s. Now I am sober and married and in an amazing place and I have forgiven him. I guess I felt like sharing this with you because you seem interested in who he was and his diagnosis. Like I said, I have never heard anyone say they knew he was positive, so your article sparked something inside me. Maybe this will give you a better idea of who he was. I don't believe he was a horrible person, but he has definitely but he was definitely someone who deeply disliked parts of himself and lacked the ability to understand how deeply his decisions could affect others. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I wish you all the best. What? Hold the phone. Yeah, Mr. You, man, I haven't made contact with you yet, and I will because I'm heading on holiday and I'll be publishing this podcast. Boy, are you right. Number one, I'm so freaking glad that you have found forgiveness and that you have journeyed into sobriety and that you're married and that you have done your work, brother. Hallelujah. Praise be. Blessed be the fruit under her eye. With regards to Mr. Jason Alexander Wynn, I know I had a really hard time deciding whether I would publish that and I did it anyway. So Texas family of Jason Alexander Wynn, I'm going to tell my story and this is a huge part. Um, 
HIV stigma is real. And obviously, Jason, of course, he's not a horrible person. And of course, he made he had decisions that were fueled by his own internalized stigma. And he's part of his very family that like behaved this way. So it's like there's so many layers to what he was perpetuating himself. And I think this is what so much of my heart desires at this point is to create space for everybody, all of us. And there's all kinds of subcultures. Here's the HIV AIDS one. Okay, well, let's jump into the cancer one. Okay, let's jump into the paraplegics. Okay, let's jump into the drug addicts. Okay, let's jump into, I mean, it's whatever. There's 10 million colors of subcultures. And at the core is an ability for us to elevate our own shame and stigma and 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 vulnerabilities and come to a place of awareness and consciousness to kindness and combat compassion and universal love. I have a beautiful idea that I'm not ready to share with any of you yet. And it's a way for me to make a contribution in this next decade to bring to life and to bring to light some of this story. There are far too many people who died very early they were my, they would be my elders now. And they were taken by HIV and AIDS. And I have been given a gift of authenticity in my life. And I have a desire to help elevate the shame and stigma and secrets and to elevate the work and the music and the poetry and the writings that these people, these brothers, and some sisters and they, them, those that are, that are um, in gender non-conforming places, their creativity wasn't finished. So that's all I'll say for now. And the last story is the sum it up. Here we are in real time. A couple weeks ago, I got to sit down with a new friend in recovery. He's older than me. He's in his early 60s. He's newly HIV. He contracted the virus through using drugs, meth, sex, um, chemsex, they call it, where you get high and have sex. And I had the privilege, I've never done this before in recovery 12 steps. I've been doing this for four and a half years, Christmas Eve, December 24th. Four and a half years I've been sober from crystal meth. And I got to sit down and do a fifth step in the in the 12 steps of AA, NA, SSA. And that means I'm listening to his fourth step and to all of the things that he's written down, his sexual misconduct, not misconduct, but his sexual history, but also all the resentments. And he and I sat next to the, the water in Venice. He was facing me. I was facing the sunset. It's in the late afternoon. And I had sunglasses on because the sun was in glaring in my face. And I had the most beautiful experience where I got to listen to him and look at the work and the pages and the writings and the notes that he put together to elevate his shame, his stigma, his resentments, his anger, his fear. I was so touched. 
and he talked about how he was infected with HIV. He talked about sexual assault in his drug history and indulgence. And I just was there with him and I showed him love and compassion. It was such a beautiful day. I'm so grateful I got to be a part of that. So the meaning that you choose to give to your shame and stigma, the meaning in which you choose to show up for other people, may you find some inspiration today. May you remove the condoms that you wear on your heart and may you increase your awareness of all groups of people and situations around you. And may you just let that energy move right back to you, my dear soul sibling. And I'll see you next time um, for Viral Mindfulness, the podcast. So you're still wondering about Philip that I met at Phil's? All right. So as I promised, Philip and I were to meet yesterday, December 15th at 4 p.m. for coffee. So I get there and, you know, I'm all like, oh my gosh, cool. I'll just be low key, no attachments, connection, fun, meeting people. This is perfect. A coffee day is plenty of time. I didn't even go anywhere to tell myself other than what I felt and what I saw, what the meaning was. He was totally coming on to me. So we get there. He gives me a little hug. He smells great. We sit down. We're ordering coffee from my app because it's really busy and we finally get to a table and then we start talking a little bit and I was asking him a question about his friends he had mentioned in some text messages that he struggles with this love-hate relationship of staying up late and staying up late and like you know over partying or I don't know like just over socializing drinking and then he's like you know, like, for example, you know, I just feel like it's important for me to like, you know, to in order to get to know women, and then to date them. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm just listening now and looking at him. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, (laughs) I don't really know if he is gay. And he's totally straight, apparently. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be one of those effed up, like he's like in shame and stigma. And, you know, I've been in so many of those too. And I just looked at him and I just kept stayed with him. Like, okay, cool. I guess here we are. (laughs) 2019 World AIDS Day. I just made the assumption that he was gay. And I I could have checked and just said, hey, just double checking the context of our coffee date. Are you gay, bisexual, you know, heterosexual? Definitely will do that in the future for myself. Anyway, super weird. And he's super nice, interesting person. And then several other things unfolded in the coffee date. And I'm like, you know, I spent about 75 minutes and then I was able to excuse myself and he interrupted our time together at coffee to go get a girl's phone number. And so he did the very same thing. He, I was on the flip side now this time. And I'm like, what? 
And then when we were talking before I left, he was talking about how honestly this could be some sort of compulsion or addiction for him where he feels like getting to know people, getting their numbers is like a lead generating system. You know, the more numbers you get, the more it produces, you know, connections, which turn into a date, which then could turn into a relationship. And, you know, there's an element of truth I see in that. And what I felt foremost was an incongruency from him and his reveal, his reveal about, oh, it's just crazy. I didn't know what to think. Anyway, so he said, you know, I don't even know what he said. I, I was so in it. I was so shocked. I was like, really, literally like, <laughs> <laughs> and so I just um he said something about getting together again after I get back and he's like I'll put a reminder in my phone and so then I left and I was just like that is so weird to me I've never been in this situation like this so since I've had time to think some time away to do my life here's what I want to say when he texts me I'm going to say no thank you I'm not interested in a second date but good luck and then if he responds and wants more info, then I can give him some info and I can say, hey, in case you're interested, here's some of my my experience in engaging with you. I was under the assumption this was like a coffee date. You knew I was gay from our first conversation. You exchanged numbers. You asked me to meet for coffee. What did you think I was going to think it was? How many straight guys? <laughs> he told me that he does this all the time with straight guys. I guess it's true. So I guess I just need to be open. So I'm processing out loud. Thanks for being my mini therapist. And to finalize, that's a fun 2019 version of freaking non-stigma. Straight men asking me out on coffee dates. Yes, I'll take it. Today's poem of the podcast is another prayer by John O'Donohue. This is about the body Today we're talking about the body, such an interesting, very specific area of body and disease. And so here's the prayer and blessing that you can borrow and use from John O'Donohue. May your body be blessed. May you realize what a faithful and beautiful friend of your soul it is. And may you be peaceful and joyful and recognize that your senses are sacred thresholds. May you realize that holiness can be mindful, gazing, feeling, touching use of the senses. And may your senses gather you and bring you home. And may you always, through your senses, be able to celebrate the universe and your presence in it. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Make Sit Happen, my free 10-minute guided meditation. It's the new year. We're talking about New Year's prayers and living by the questions. And there is not a better practice that I can think of to teach you skills of being present, of learning how to sit with discomfort, about cultivating peace and joy in greater revenue in your life. So I'd love to sit down with you and do a 10-minute guided meditation. 
We'll sit next to the sounds of Onion Creek. You can access this free guided meditation over at my website. Get instant access now at viralmindfulness.com forward slash free dash meditation. And if you head to my website, there's a big button, beautiful button that says free meditation.